0: We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John McMahon and I'm joined today by the infamous John Kaplan, better known as Cap. Hey, Cap, let me... How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, buddy. I'm doing good. You're wearing, the, you're wearing the blue and gold today
2: representing today
1: representing representing Real representing blue Michigan all right buddy let me introduce it to you a really special guest and a good friend of mine. I consider this person to be one of the top if not the top sales recruiters in all of enterprise
2: software Chad great to uh, great to meet you thanks for joining
0: us It's great to be here with you guys I do like uh, I do like the Michigan I went to SC. Um, I'm sure you saw we got Lincoln Riley. Hopefully, we will be kicking your guys' ass in the Rose Bowl here pretty soon, but uh, I do like this.
2: Most... Let, let me... People know I can get distracted easily for this <laughs> podcast. So. Try to throw you <laughs> off your game, baby. Yeah, that's right.
1: Let me, let me tell you a little bit more about Chad, right? So I got to know him when he was running a company called Pete's and & Company, and I was at Blade Logic, and then we were at BMC, and he was such an incredible recruiter that I asked him, to be my exclusive recruiter for North America for all sales levels, sales reps all the way up to VPs. So since then he's recruited exclusively for other big name companies like AppDynamics, Snowflake, ThoughtSpot, Lacework. And I think Chad, you've completed something like over 2,500 searches if I'm right.
0: And now it's more, I've placed, um, gosh, close to, I mean, I don't, as you know, John, my John's evolved a little bit, but um, so it's hard to know where to draw the line and what to take credit for. But I've placed somewhere in the neighborhood of 7,000 software sales.
1: 7,000. Wow, sorry, sorry for underestimating. But now Chad is uh, managing director at Sutter Hill Ventures where he recruits exclusively for Sutter Hill companies. So,
2: yeah, so Chad, um, we're really excited to have you on today, and you know, with the uh, Everybody's talking about, you know, you can't go a day without hearing about the great resignation uh, war on talent. I mean, talent, 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 talent is uh, is is kind of the, you know, the conversation of the day. What I thought we do is just kind of start at a top level. And, you know, with your great experience with working with companies that, that have, you know, built great sales organizations for scale. Um, just kind of top level, what do you think that really takes uh, in today's world to really do that well?
0: To build a world-class sales organization, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's I get that all the time, right? And it's, and it's so much more than just recruiting the right people. So for example, you know, just to touch on what you guys said, right? Like I, I, my responsibility at Sutter Hill is to build and manage the go-to-market teams for uh, our enterprise SaaS companies. Um, and and the two have to go hand in hand, right? So I, first of all, it it has to start with the right CRO because you can't just go out and hire a certain profile of person without all the systems and the proper things around that person and those people to ensure their success. So oftentimes someone will say to me, look, I get the rep profile, so let's go hire that rep profile. i say, well, hold on. You can go hire the rep profile, but you have to have the right first line manager profile, the right second line. You have to have all of the uh, different processes methodologies that, that we've all learned from john McMahon right so it's 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 much more than just recruiting a specific profile it's a complete system and if one piece of that system is not in place the whole thing breaks yeah
2: and how many when you're talking to let's let's talk about the cro for a second how many people really get that like do you feel like cros are prepared for a system to say and the responsibility of saying that you know, I have to bring that system with me. What, what do you think is the level of preparedness out there today?
0: Well, if you look at the Sutter Hill companies and the ones that I'm responsible for, every single one of them traces back to John McMahon, every CRO. And so the way I view it is if you don't come from, I like to call it our ecosystem, because I kind of like to jump on John's back, it's really his ecosystem. But if you don't come from our ecosystem, um, it's almost impossible for you to come be a CRO of one of one of the companies I'm responsible for. The learning curve is just simply too steep. And so, you know, what percentage? And I recognize and I have a, a bias here, but what percentage of the of the sales leaders out there? They don't have to be current CROs, right? Because often I would much rather take a person that has yet to be a CRO and wants to stretch to that position than I would take a five time CRO that either has failed the previous five times or you get the other extreme where you've got somebody that's made so much money they may not want to do the heavy lifting I need them to do. So my preference right. is to always take somebody that's sort of on their way up and stretch them. And John and I have numerous examples we can cite to that. So right. you have to kind of take a look at all of the companies that I would consider to be you know, ecosystem companies and there aren't that many of them. And then look at each individual inside of those companies as a you know, call it a second line leader or, or above that's ready to take that step. Point being, there's not a lot of them
1: out there, right? Right.
0: There's not a lot of them out there.
1: Now, and, Chad, yeah. you've recruited for like raw startups, scaling companies that are scaling companies before that are doing product market fit, and even well-established companies. Can you talk a little bit about the different type of characteristics that someone needs to have for these different stages of a company? Are,
0: are we talking the CRO or the rep or both? I'd say I'd say both. I I think
1: I've seen it's almost. Um, it's almost, they almost have to have some of the same characteristics to survive, let's say, in a raw startup versus a very, very well-established company.
0: I mean, I don't know if anybody's supposed to be using specific names here, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Like if you, if, and if you guys don't think we should, then tell me, I can, I can be hypothetical. Yeah, go for it. Um, but if you take a look at a company, John, that you and I are both involved in a Sutter Hill company called Observe, right? So um, that, that's an early stage company uh, without getting into too much specifics. It's, you know, basically at the point where the product's GA and You know, this will be the first year we probably have demonstrable bookings and things like that. We've got a guy in there by the name of Keith Butler. And the reason I thought Keith would be a great guy for that role is because Keith is someone that likes to get in there to figure things out. Right. And so when Keith came, we couldn't say to him, hey, look, here's the finished product. Here's who we want to sell it to. Here's the ROI behind it. Here's the persona. Here's the ICP. Here, we couldn't tell them that. We didn't know right, that. Right. And so Keith had to get in here and work hand-in-hand hand with the folks in product and engineering, first of all, to figure out what we should be building, right? Because anytime you have a great group of engineers, and we have world-class engineers at Observe, they know how to build great shit, but you have to tell them what to actually build that people have an interest in buying because they can go build some wonderful things. Then you get out to the market and find out the market has no interest in buying Right. And so when you go this early, you have to have somebody that that wants to do things like that. And a lot of CROs don't, and they aren't capable of doing it. Chris Degnan, John, as you know, is another perfect example early days at Snowflake. We had no idea what we were building. So the first mm-hmm. couple of years, I mean, we call it a sales job. It is a sales job, um, but it's different because you think of a sales job, you think of selling something. And when you go early like this, you're not really selling.
2: No, you're, you're out not. there
0: gathering data, if you will, to take it back to product and engineering, you're figuring at ICP, you're figuring out use cases, personas, all of that stuff. And that's a very different person than the person that let's say, you're gonna bring in a, at a company that's doing 100 million. The jobs are just completely different. Now every once in a while, you can find a guy like Chris Deckman has the ability to do the full spectrum, but that's pretty rare. I actually mm-hmm. think Keith has that ability as well. I think Keith is gonna be able to take this thing at, at Observe all the way through but that's that again is pretty rare usually it's a couple of different individuals because the job is so different as the company goes through its various stages of life cycle
1: yeah you see a lot of guys in raw startups can even get product market fit maybe be there like another year just before they start to step on the gas to scale and then they just absolutely don't know how to do that so you need somebody else to help the company do that
2: how do you recruit that way chad with the expectation Um, In the open, I think a lot of what you're talking about here is expectations from the the company, from an executive point of view. So managing the expectations of maybe, let's say, a technical founder that has certain ideas about what sales should be. um, That's one aspect I'd like to dig in with you. The other aspect I'd like to dig in with you is managing expectations of the individual that might be. Um, a stage player and not see the whole game through? Like what what are the delicacies around both of those? First one, managing the expectations of a a founder maybe who does not have a great acumen in sales. I'm not saying that that's 100% the case, but if that happens, how do you manage the expectations there? And then the second follow-up question is managing the expectations on somebody who might be a stage player and not the whole game through. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. I mean, look, where I have been most effective before Sutter Hill and with Sutter Hill is when John and I are working together. So when when John's on the board and I can go in there with John um, and we're sort of tag teaming, if you will, the early stage founder, the CEO and the CRO, uh, that's when I am most effective because I think John and I are just... We just just partner together really well. And and that goes to setting the expectations of the technical founder. And if you have the right founders of an organization, and I think at Sutter Hill we do, uh, I'm biased, but I think we do a better job than anybody else finding those founders. Those founders will recognize through working with John, myself, and usually with Spicer, but if not Spicer, then one of my other partners, that, hey, look, you're really good at understanding what you understand, but we're the experts when it comes to building out sales. We need you to trust us. And, and quite frankly, when we're finding those founders for those early stage companies, we're testing for that. And if we, we think we have a great founder to go start something at Sutter Hill, because if you remember at Sutter Hill, we don't do a lot of investing of companies. And I don't want to get too far off here, but, but we don't invest in, co- we really build companies. So we're the ones mm-hmm. finding those founders. So it's not like we're going to have a founder and then you're going to bring me in later stage and I'm going to have to tell them this is how it's going to work that can be challenging to your point. So what we want to do is early on when we're finding founders for our companies, we're explaining to them the Sutter Hill platform of which John is an extended part of and saying, look, when you come in here, this is how we're going to build this company. You know, when you, when you bring someone in early um, it's got to be the right individual. Um, You know, if, if there, there are certain CROs that have accomplished, certain things in their career. And they just want to, they're at a stage where it's like, look, I, I'm at a point where I need to go make as much money as I can and do so quickly. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to name any names, but I know great CEOs <laughs> like that. That's not the CRO to come to an early stage company, right? Like Keith Butler is a really unique guy because, and, and Chris Degman was at the time, because they wanted to be a part of something very early and they wanted to help build something from the ground up. And that takes- builders. Even, yeah. yeah, they're builders. and. And look, salespeople, as John can attest to, we're, we're wired to think about making money. Um, and so 90% of the CROs out there don't wanna come this early. You've gotta find somebody special like Keith and Chris that wanna build a company from the foundation up. Um, you know, a lot you want- of
1: times you run into guys, especially these days, where people are really impatient, they're title hungry, they wanna be promoted to the next level without mastering the fundamentals of their current position. So that has to be a challenge for you when you have to say, "Hey, buddy, like you're just not ready for something like this."
0: It, it, it is. I mean, I, I there's, <laughs> there's you know, we're recruiting in leadership positions at Lacework, um, which is a you know a phenomenal company that John and I have been working on for a long time together. Right. And you know, let's say I have a second line leader that I'm recruiting for, and he's being recruited to go be the CRO of another company, and I have to have that conversation when I'm like do you think you're ready to be the CRO? Because you're going to come here as a second line leader and you're going to work with me. You're going to work with John. You're going to work with Andy Byron and Mike Haas and Brian Dell. We're going to make you better. We're going to get you to the position where in three or four years from now, you're going to get a call for a CRO job and you're going to be ready for it. Do you think you're ready for it? And, and that could, I mean, I assure you, there, there's a lot of guys out there that don't like me because I'll be the one to tell them, Hey, dude, I'm responsible for placing all of our CROs. I won't put you into a CRO role at a center company because you're not ready. I think you can get there. You're just not there now. So, and you have to In have some way conversation. some they totally. may be
1: mad about it, but if they're really honest with themselves, they'll take that to heart and understand that they're just not ready for that type of thing. And, yeah. and to John's point,
0: it's only gotten harder because- People have recognized the success that that the John slash my ecosystem have had, right? And so anybody that's ever worked for a company that's somehow tied back to John, because they're looking at you know, they're looking at Okta, they're looking at even companies like Medallia, App Dynamics, MongoDB, Lacework, Snowflake, Datadog, what do they all have in common? The CROs work with John. And so people finally started to figure that out. So now they start going, well, I can't get the top guys at those companies, but I'll get the guys that work beneath them. And by the way, they're probably great guys or gals, but that doesn't mean they're ready to be a CRO. But the rest of the market is now telling them they're ready to be a CRO. And right. so this, this challenge has only gotten harder as, as these guys have seen more and more success. So but isn't what about,
1: that true not just in a CRO position, but all positions, where somebody sure. wants to – these days I think the people are – are really impatient. So they're a sales rep. They want to be a rep for a year. Then they want to be a manager for a year and they want to be a VP next. It's got to be difficult.
2: I've always found that, <clears throat> you know, looking in the mirror and helping people look in the mirror, like sometimes when you have these conversations. I can only imagine what it's like for you and Chad and John to speak to somebody and you'd want to give the answer if you were speaking to me. You'd want to give the answer as like a badge of courage, like I can do this and I've done it before versus the reality of, is it something that's going to give me energy? So a lot of times what I I see is that people are, they can do the job, but is it something that they really want to do? Is it something that's going to give them energy? And I think about like, you guys talk about the patience in the beginning and being a builder. And people have really natural resting states there. They they have great patience. They are okay with the product not being at a certain level and that they're going to interact with the with the market space to with a sales organization to really kind of build that. And then there's, I don't know, Chad, is there like variations of that? Is it like from a builder to kind of a, you know, a process person to a driver, like a third stage of somebody just driving the playbook, so to speak? Is that is that realistic, or is there are there stages when you think about that, like sure. you're either a builder, or a driver, or a, what do you what do you see those stages as?
0: Sure, like um, there, there's a I'm going to leave the name out of it, but um, the, you know there's a, a CRO candidate out there that I have a lot of respect for, and you know <clears throat> we have uh, a couple of earlier stage companies that I I felt very strongly he would be a wonderful CRO for these companies that are you know, 10, call it 10 million in bookings, right? I thought he'd be wonderful for that role. He ended up taking another role for a company that was doing 200 million. Yeah. Not the right guy for that role. I would have, I not the right guy. Doesn't mean he couldn't eventually get there, but he was not the right guy for that role. For 10 million, absolutely. And you have to have somebody that truly understands like managing and scaling an organization of 200 is much different than one that's at 10, right? Now the fundamentals are still the same. We're still running the same, Um, processes and things like that, but those processes will change and they need to be tailored to each individual situation. So John and I have talked about this in the past. There's a lot of guys or gals that have worked for John that can say, look, I know the playbook. And they're going to take that playbook from wherever they learned that playbook and bring the exact same playbook to whatever company they go to. And it doesn't work like that, right? You bring the fundamentals of the playbook, but every time you go into a situation, it's a unique situation. So you're going to have to tweak and make changes to that playbook to, to uh, you know, adjust, if you will, for the company that you're at, the market that you're in, the product that you're selling, et cetera, et cetera. Unless you've got a fair amount of experience, you're not going to know to do that or how to do it. You're simply going to take what you learned and bring the exact same playbook with you. And you can do that early on. You can, you can get away with that for a little while, right? You really can as you're figuring out what product market fit and all that stuff. But as it starts to scale, you've got to understand where to make changes to the, the, the playbook that you brought with you.
1: Yeah, you know, you brought up a point that I have to mentor a lot of people on. So they become the first time CRO. Let's say these days, the majority of the CEOs are tech founders that don't really know how to sell. They're being influenced by a venture capitalist that's never scaled the company and doesn't really know how to do it. But they saw it at company A, so they believe it'll happen at company B, even though company B is different product, different customer, different messaging, different price points, different everything. And what you have to do is get these CROs that are first time CROs that thought that they wanted that job, but they don't see themselves kind of on the same level mm-hmm. as the CEO having a mono-a-mono type discussion. And now at the end of the day, sure the CEO makes the final decision, but they have to voice their opinion as to what they think is the right way to go. And a lot of them just don't step up to that. So now it gets forced down their throat they know it's wrong. I've even had them tell me, I know it's wrong, but I'm, and they're still gonna do it and not step up. So that's part of really, you know, making sure that you have a lot of confidence in yourself before you get into some of these positions.
0: It's it, it's it's so true. Like you'll see a CRO and then the CFOs too. It's not just the CEO, the CFO. CFO, yeah. you know, the CRO it, it should be able to develop a productivity model. You know, you guys know that without getting into that, but should be able to come up with a productivity model. John's done a a great job of creating that so that we can make sales somewhat predictable. And a productivity model, assuming that you've got the right inputs, is going to tell you approximately what you should be forecasting for the following year. You can roll that up to the CFO and say, look, my productivity per rep is going to be, I don't know, 800 grand and we need to hire X amount of reps. And the CFO goes, yeah, that's great. But to get to the number that I want to roll out to the board, the investors, your productivity number needs to be 1.2 million. You know, we'll,
1: or or we need to increase our gross margins and so now we're not going to hire as many sales people. Right. But by the way, the
0: number that we're going to roll up is still going to be the same. Yes. That C- that C- what that CRO doesn't understand is he just signed his own death warrant. He's not going to get fired then, but 12 months from now, he's getting fired. Why is he getting fired? Because he allowed them to set expectations that can't be met because there's expectations based on a wish, not based on reality. And to John's point, if the CRO doesn't have a gravitas to have that organization, or if John and I are involved because we, you know, we will prevent that from happening. That CRO is toast.
1: And it happens all the time because you have first-time CEO, first-time CRO. Their ramp time for a sales rep is six months. All of a sudden it's November. The CEO meets with the board and almost gets told this is the number you're going to do. And let's say it's, you know, 30 million, but the CRO has 10 reps and he gets told next year you're going to do 30 million. He was never involved in it. There's no way to ramp these guys quick enough. Here comes the attrition. They burn the money. They never make the 30 million. And the guy gets fired. And he got fired mainly because they didn't step up. But more importantly, the CFO and the CEO are really incompetent in planning. Right.
2: So you guys guys are bringing up a a great thought process for me is if I'm listening to this podcast, and I am either aspiring to be a CRO someday or um, am a CRO and I'm looking for new opportunities in this marriage, if you will, between a great opportunity and a great candidate. What are some of the things that I should be considering as it relates to stuff that I should know beforehand? Johnny, I know you're big on ideal customer profile and, and um, and, and, and that whole conversation that we've had several times Chad, so are there some other things that you see of where the CEO, CFO, CMO, uh, and if, especially like first time CEOs and, uh, you know, newer CROs, are there some things that people should be thinking about? Are these are table stakes of things for me to understand before I get involved in this company?
0: So just to clarify, are you saying if you're a CRO candidate, these yeah. are the questions that you should be asking before, oh, for, Yeah.
2: Yeah. Do you have some insight into that? Like what's what's common on the plate right now? Yeah. So
0: set all the market stuff aside. Let's just assume the candidate's done the due diligence on the market, the size of the market, people that have founded the company, they've done their due diligence on the product. So all of that, let's just say is there because yeah. that is table stakes as to whether or not you want to join a company. Yeah. To your point, if I'm a CRO and I'm going to meet with the CEO, I want to, first of all, make sure that you are giving me full autonomy to run my sales organization the way I want to run my sales organization. And, and that's, that's a bigger ask than one might think, right? Well, I think, for example, as a CEO, that BDRs and inside sales should roll the marketing. You shouldn't. Have <laughs> well, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. They have a number, right? Mm-hmm. Am I responsible for that number? Yes, you are. Oh, I'm responsible for the number, but I don't have any control over the people that are actually mm. going to deliver that number. Huge mm. red flag, right? So you want to make sure that they're going to give you the autonomy to run the organization. And if you're responsible for the outcome, you have to be responsible for the inputs. Uh, You wanna talk to them about things like productivity, right? Like, look, I understand how to come up with a productivity model, but let's be clear. I'm gonna set those numbers based on what we see. It's gonna be based on facts, not aspirations. And when I roll that up, I wanna know that my quota is gonna be tied to that productivity number. And and furthermore, I'd like to know, have you rolled out any forecasts for next year to the board, to the investors that I should be aware of? And if so, I wanna understand how you got to that number. And the scary thing is oftentimes you're gonna hear, well, that's just the number we gave to the board because that's the number we needed to put out there to get the the funding we wanted at the valuation we wanted. We had to say we were gonna grow by 250%. Right. You don't want that job.
2: No, you're gonna get fired. You're going to you know, that's what you just brought up is like. I have conversations with CROs. Why is why is that happening so much right now? Where people are, they're like limiting the authorities. I don't know who it was Parcells. I think when the in the NFL, when he said, "If you want me to be responsible for the meal, you got to let me, you know, pick out the groceries or whatever it was." That, that that's always stuck with me. But I'm having so many conversations today with CROs that are battling this conversation about who owns BDRs, who, and another one that kind of blows my mind a little bit is sometimes is this conversation about customer success. And like, what are you seeing out there are the trends of what's under the umbrella of a a CRO today and why?
0: I I, I think we kind of touched on one of them. You're seeing... People get calls for CRO jobs that aren't ready to be CROs. And so yeah. as they're interviewing, they don't know to qualify for the stuff that we're talking to qualify. They're just having a yeah. job. And right. so they get in there and they get the job and they haven't set proper expectations. They haven't done the qualifications. And so if you don't do that up front, good luck trying to do it after you've taken the job. Cause now you're basically gonna have to threaten to quit. And the yeah. CEO is going to say, ah, this is how it's going to be. So, number but one, if you weren't like,
1: smart enough to do it during the interview. You're not going to be smart enough to do it once you got the job. <laughs> and right. even
0: if you are, even if you've got a guy like me and John in your ear saying, oh my God, you have to own this, it's so much harder to convince the CEO of that because what leverage do you have? You've right. already taken the job. And so, number one, I think it's you have people interviewing for roles that don't have an experience. Right. And so they're, they're, it's, it's a fundamental of the market changing because everybody's going after these younger CROs that aren't ready to. They don't understand the right questions asked. Right. They just they just don't know. And so if you don't know and you don't qualify going in, you're toast once you get there.
2: And it's not that what I'm also hearing you guys say is it's not that um, there's black and white about what, what you need to own or what you shouldn't own. It's probably situational. If you have the capability to own something and it makes sense for you to own it, you should know that going in. Not I mean, you know sometimes some areas
0: like marketing. Yeah, you, and you, sometimes what
2: happens, sometimes what happens on the back end, as I see, is that the the product is not in. You know, at some stages there's no there's not a success organization set up. There's not like that forethought of that, and then all of a sudden. There's a big part of it is renewals and success and that type of stuff. And then CROs are kind of battling. I think maybe having a plan for as it progresses and as the stages and what would be the plan. And if you've done it before, it's kind of like knowing that before you go in, right? Is that what you guys are telling me? Basically, you have to agree that
1: we're all going to be on the same journey, right? If the CFO and CEO have a plan that's completely different than the one that you, e- could, you could never make that plan, you're going to be on a completely different journey than they are. And they're going to start spending to that high bookings number when you're never going to get there. So they're going to run the costs up along the way. You're not going to get to the number. There's going to be a really bad board meeting where they're going to say, Hey, can we excuse the CRO for a moment? You know, you're burning through money. They're not selling enough. I think it's time for a new CRO. That happens all the time.
2: Mm. And how often do you guys, uh, Are you guys in a situation where people are a little bit knee-jerk? Let's take the opposite of that. And the patients, we've talked about it from the candidate or from the CRO's perspective. Are you ever giving advice to the companies and the leadership teams about the patients? Like, how easy easy is it to say, you know, a knee-jerk reaction, shoot him or shoot her? Or like, I mean, there's a lot of conversations like that. And not to get graphic, I don't mean shooting anybody, but... You know get them out of the role and and how often are you guys dealing with that where there's there's it's impatience on the other side
1: it, it's too late to do anything about it the, everybody agreed to the plan and uh, but people were on different journeys to get to that plan and it's over for the poor cro so, so can we switch yeah. gears just a little bit to yeah. like more like uh for the audience just like you know kind of the basics of some of the recruiting stuff so one of the reasons that I've always loved, Chad, is when we sit down and we, we put together what we call a position profile. The reason Chad's such an incredible recruiter is he brings me only people that fit that position profile. Otherwise, you think, well, why do I have a recruiter to help me, right? If they're bringing me something different and wasting my time. But Chad, why is it that so a lot of companies I go into, they ask for advice, they don't even have even a one pager on what the position
0: profile is. Why is that? Because they don't know. I mean, they don't understand the nuances of of selling software. Oh, the guy's a software sales rep. Listen, selling software for Oracle and selling software for a $10 million ARR company, that's not the same job. Well, they both sell software. It is not the same job. One guy's playing football. The other one's playing basketball. And they just, well, we just need athletes. No, you're a basketball team. You need basketball players, right? So if, if just to take that a layer deeper, like, what And I'm not crapping on the guy at Oracle. What's the guy at Oracle doing? Right, He's going out and selling some Oracle product into an existing Oracle account. Right, Basically, he's saying, look, you're about to do a renewal. You're going to spend 10000000 million. Let's make it 12000000 million. I'm going to throw this shit in. Fine, there's value in that for Oracle. But my guy at a $10 million company is going out there banging on doors, trying to get into accounts that don't understand, don't, don't know who the company is he works for. Probably right. don't have budget for the shit that he's selling. And they may not even know they have the problem he's trying to solve. That right. is so different than what the guy at Oracle is doing. But most CEOs, shit, most CROs don't even understand that. I can't tell you how many times I go, listen, uh, this is what my company does. And I want to go hire guys that under guys or gals. And by the way, just so I don't keep saying that, guys is a unisex term to me.
2: Yeah, same. Uh,
0: so I'm going to go hire guys that understand my space. Oh, well, that's great. I, you know, the guy's not knocked on a door in 10 years, but he knows your space. So that's wonderful. If you're going <laughs> to go hire another sales rep to actually penetrate the account, then eventually that guy will add some value. But you know why he's not going to add any value? Because he's never going to get you into the accounts to begin with. Right. Because he doesn't have the skill set. He, you know? he doesn't. Or even if he has the skill set, he doesn't have the willingness. Working right. for a, 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 an early stage company that John and I are involved with as a sales rep, is probably the hardest job in all of software sales. Totally, totally, yeah. Now it's also the one that you'll get the greatest rewards out of in terms of you know, not only economically, but in terms of your career growth and your future, but it is the hardest job to do.
1: Yeah, now Chad, with the war on talent, because you know, like 20 years ago, there might've been like 50 software companies in the world. Now there's 50 software companies in the 10 square block area of San Francisco. So everybody's looking for reps. everybody's looking for you know, leaders and stuff. So when you're looking at you want to recruit from a company, the company you have is a strong company, the company over that you're trying to recruit from is a strong company, the pace almost kind of the same, How, what are you doing to sell the opportunity and bring that person from the strong company into your strong company?
0: Yeah. You know, it's not as much about W2 as it used to be. So 15 years ago when I, like I was the retained guy, John, before I came to, to do Blade Logic with you, I, I used to recruit for Mercury Interactive. I built the sales organization oh, yeah. for Mercury. Yeah. And, and even App Dynamics. quite frankly, what we had at App Dynamics was everybody was making a bunch of money, right? And so it was like, look, my average rep here is making $357,000. If you're in the top 20%, you're making 700 grand, top 10%, you're making a million bucks. I mean, there was more to it, but that was the hook. You're gonna come here and make more money. Um, it's different now because A, it's, it's just a different market, um, but there's different things to sell now. So let's take Lacework as an example, right? If you look at Lacework, Lacework outside of Snowflake is the fastest growing SaaS company that I've ever seen. So you're talking about what makes this company so unique. Well, we have growth, it's 300%. We have a market that is absolutely massive. We have executives that understand how to build a product and you have Sutter Hill in there and you have a John McMahon ecosystem company where you're going to get developed. So, you're talking about all of this macro stuff about why this is such a unique opportunity and a unique company and you're talking about career development and, of course, you're talking about equity. We spend far more time selling equity for Sutter Hill companies than we do selling the opportunity to make money because, candidly, I think the W 2 is, is interchangeable amongst most of these companies, right? If you're really focused on W 2 and that's what you want to do, then you should go to a big company because you can go to salesforce.com and make four or 500 grand a year, and you're going to probably not work quite as hard as you are coming here. So if that's truly what you're focused on, then you're not a great candidate for me.
1: Right, so you're selling the career opportunity, you're selling the men- the education you're going to get and the mentorship you're going to get from the people surrounding you, and then you're selling the equity. And yes. that's what it has to bring these- this person over. And if it doesn't 100%. resonate with them, they're probably not the right
0: people. 100%. percent they not the right Much finer point on it than I did, yeah. but that's,
2: that's spot on. Chad, you got great experience. I want to dig in a little bit more at like how Stutter Hill evolved for you. But prior to that... um you've been in the recruitment industry for a long time. L- Talk to us about some insights. Let's say I am a, um, I'm building a, a small company. I am getting ready to scale my sales organization. Uh, everybody and their brother and sister has a tendency to hang a shingle and say that they can recruit. Um, the war on talent, I've, I've got to find a good relationship with a recruitment firm with a recruiter, what have you. Is there some advice that, and I promise I'm going to talk about the different model at Sutter Hill, but prior to Sutter Hill, is there some advice that you could give um, business owners what they should be looking for in a firm, in a recruitment firm? Any ideas on that?
0: I mean, you're not going to like this answer, but anytime I find a great recruiter out there, because there are so few of them, I hire them. So, and because I have an opportunity that for it, the job that we have on my team is is by far and away the best job any recruiter can look for. And so just to be honest, I, I have seen two people that have come up that way and I took them immediately. The reality it's
1: is- It's not the firm, it's the person.
0: There just aren't many good recruiters out there. I mean, there mm-hmm. there's a reason so that I was, I tell people like, it's not like I was that good. I just had no competition. The problem is You can make really quick money in this business by just flinging a bunch of shit, especially when the market's good. And eventually a couple of resumes and and the fees are big enough where you can make 10 placements a year and be awful and make 300 grand a year. Hmm. And so for whatever the reason, there's, there's not great quality out there. Um, I'm not aware of any recruiter right now. Believe me, I would hire. If I knew of a great recruiter out there, I'd hire them tomorrow. Um, Not not so
2: much the individual's like that. So the characteristics, let's take it that step further. You'd hire them. Why would you hire them? What are the characteristics of that individual that would make you want to hire them?
0: Yeah. So when I built Pete's and associates, um, the first thing I said was I'm only going to do one thing. Okay. I'm going to build software sales organizations in North America. Right. And so I would get calls once my reputation, you know, hopefully got to be pretty good. I got a lot of phone calls from venture firms and this, that, and the other. I said, look, if you're looking for the one thing that I do, I'm the best in the world and I have no competition, but let's be clear, I can only do one thing. I can build field sales organizations for VC funded software slash SaaS companies. And it has to be again, an enterprise focus. That's very specific. Now to mm-hmm. John's point, the population of those companies has grown pretty drastically. I do think it's gonna shrink back down here, but mm-hmm. it has grown pretty drastically. But that was the number one thing is focus. I don't do sales engineers. I don't do marketing. I don't do inside sales. I don't Mm. do any of that shit. I will find your CRO. I'll I'll scale the organization beneath that person. But that's it. And as you can imagine, as we had a lot of success, as I had a lot of success doing that, constantly was being asked to find CEOs, CMOs. No, no, no. I can Mm. only do one thing. So number one, I would tell you it's focused. Number two, look, you got to put the company's needs in front of your own right? Like as Andy Byron will tell you, or Chris Degnan, or anybody that I've partnered with over the years, Dolly Rodgick will tell you, John will tell you, my barrier to get into the process is far steeper most times than the sales managers. So like I'll have sales managers, you know, second and third line guys call me and say, I want to get this person in the process. He worked for me for 20 years. No, he's not coming into the sales organization. That's very bizarre, right? Because most recruiters are paid per fee. What are they, of course, bring the fucking guy in. I'm going to make 30,000, 40,000 bucks. No, you have to be focused on the long-term on building out world-class sales organizations. So this recruiter has to be focused on exactly that. If they're focused on transactions, if they're focused on fees, and you can figure this shit out really quickly, what their objectives are, their objective has to be your objective, which is to build a world-class sales organization, not to make a fee.
1: Right. So Chad would recruit for me, John, but I can't tell you how many recruiters wanted to recruit for me. And I'd even sometimes sign them up and they'd come back later to me and say, I can't work with you. And I'd say, why can't you? And they'd say, because the same candidates that you turned down one minute later, I can give it to five other companies and they'll hire the person. Mm. Right. So, that's how diligent someone like Chad is in trying to match specifically to you know, your position profile. And, and the challenge of finding those guys in the weeds, which goes to my next question, Chad. So you're, you're gonna go do a search for, let's say, a bunch of, let's just call it sales reps right now. And you're looking through LinkedIn profiles and stuff What is it that you're looking for that's going to say, okay, I'm going to spend some time trying to, you know, recruit this person. Are there any specifics that things that jump out?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: This may be a match.
0: Look, you have to, first of all, understand the job moves that a person makes. Okay. So you you want to put yourself in their position when they make a specific move and really, and, and, and you can only do this if you really understand the industry. Right. So first and foremost, not to pick on a company, but I'm going to. If somebody worked at BMC while John was there, I have a great interest in that person because that person went to work for BMC to work under John McMahon, love it. If you went to BMC after all of us left, fuck, we're not getting on the phone, right? Because you <laughs> went there for different things, right? So it's first of all, understanding why they did what they did in their career and what their mindset must have been going in. So another example, if I see somebody that's that's gone small company, Small company, massive company. I don't want to talk to you because what what you just told me is the small company shit was too hard for you and you wanted to go to a big company. So first and foremost, when I look at somebody's background, I look at every move they made and want to understand, okay, what must their logic have been in making that move? Now, if you went to a big company through an acquisition, no problem. If you went to a big company in the prime of your career, we're not speaking. I literally, like somebody, I'm not even getting on the phone with the person. Right. And so we're also probably looking
1: for, are they what I've always looked for? Are they selling more difficult products? So they came out of college, they were selling a commodity. Then they sold something where maybe they had to do a demo and a POC. And now they're selling a much more difficult product to a much higher level in the organization and on and on and on. I'm looking for progression in the the ability to sell more and more difficult types of software.
0: And, And have you ever worked in what I consider to be a great sales organization? right? So if I look at somebody's background, and I, I don't want to call out companies here, but they have three companies in a row, all of which I believe have shit sales organizations. You're not, you're not coming to one of my companies because you've never seen it like this. And, and you've been surrounded by mediocrity and you were clearly comfortable with it because you went to three companies in a row that were mediocre, right? So it's just understanding all of that contextual stuff. And again, probably the first thing I look for though, to answer your question is, have they been responsible for going out, and get bringing in net new logos and Mm -hmm. doing PG. If I don't see that they've been doing that right in their current job and the previous jobs before that, it's done, we're moving on.
1: Okay, so now you get the candidate. Sorry, John, one more follow-up on uh, what we were just talking about. So now you get the candidate, you look through there, you see good career progression, good company progression. You get the candidate on the phone. Now, give me the top three things you're looking for immediately once you get them on the phone.
0: Well, first and foremost, I, I you know you want to understand why they've done what they've done, so you know you go through all that. Now, to be clear, I don't do rep searches anymore, right? So I, it's been a long time since I've had, thankfully, <laughs> had so You can remember
1: this stuff in your sleep. So just for the audience, if, if yeah, so if you're look, sales reps.
0: It, the, the first conversation, to be clear, John, is is, is, a, is a sales So when my guys get on my my team right now gets on the phone with a candidate, it's a hundred percent selling, right? So in the first conversation, it's selling. Then you're going to set up a second conversation. That second conversation, they better come back with some really good questions, right? They better have the type of questions that I want them to ask. Talk to me about the market. Talk to me about the sales leadership. Talk to me about things like that. You know, if they say, well, you know, talk to me about uh, their vacation policy. Yeah, um, or talk to me about um, all of the things I read on Glassdoor. Mm, we're probably mm-hmm. not going anywhere. So to answer your question, number one is the questions that they ask. Number two it's what are they looking for? Right? Like, and if they don't talk to me and say to me, look, I'm looking for career development, I want to get better. I want to continue to grow my career, not just monetarily, but I want to get to continue to get better at my craft, not just just to be promoted, because everybody wants to be promoted. I just want to get better. I want to be a better sales rep than I am today. And then, yes, eventually I want to move up, but that's important to me. I want to be in the, and they want to have to ask questions about the market that they're in, the product that they're in, the sales, you know, the people that they're in, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of it, is about the questions that they are asking me more than it is the questions that I'm asking them. I mean, there's basic shit like you know, tell me about how many new logos you brought in. Tell me about why you made this job move. Tell me about your performance against quota. Th- those are table stakes. You're going to get through all that. I get a lot more out of the questions that they ask me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Tells you the the level of homework that they did and the level of depth that they're looking for in their next opportunity exactly. for sure.
2: For sure. Last big topic I have, gentlemen, is this this. Uh, VC model that has evolved over the years of value-added services. Um, and so, Chad, you know, seeing that you're with Sutter Hill and looking at your background and seeing, you know, now you're with Sutter Hill, it, it really is a trend of these VC firms to go the extra mile of value added. Money is money. There's a lot of money out there for firms to be able to get access to, for companies to be able to get access to. Um, it's, it's a pretty cool value proposition that's developed. And you obviously have created a great one at Sutter Hill. Uh, if I'm a CRO and I am potentially in my mind, a good free agent, and I'm thinking about where I can go, I'm confident in my skills. What is the advantage of going with a firm like yours uh, the way that you look at, you're not just looking at a CRO for one particular, they're coming into your stable, so to speak. Can you talk a little bit about that change in value proposition? Cause it's a really good heads up. I ask that to people, well, how are you getting recruited? And it's a big difference if the, if the money behind the company is recruiting you. That's a huge advantage versus you just getting recruited in some other way. Does that question make sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not aware and I'm not trying to dump, I, I don't believe center. So. I don't we don't have any competition because we don't, our model is so different, right? So these other venture firms are writing checks and that's effectively what they're doing. They're writing checks, and I'm sure no Andreason and some of those other folks, I, I'm sure there's some value-added services in there. You know, my, my experience is where they truly start to add value is in later stages, like companies like Sequoia um, can can get you in touch with really great people. I'm not aware of any other venture firm that actually has the ability to help you run the organization. And let's be clear, if if you're gonna come to a Sutter Hill incubated company, we're gonna help you run the company, right? And you have to recognize, and hopefully that you do, that we are the best in the world. And Sutter is very much like me. It's one of the reasons I'm here. We are very focused, right? Like we'll tell you, we are the best in the world at building infrastructure SaaS companies. Do we do other things? Yes, but that is where we, 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 we focus. That is what we do better than everybody else and we're focused on doing so. So when I go and recruit a CRO to one of our companies, candidly, it's as much, if not more, about joining Sutter Hill and our portfolio of companies mm-hmm. than it is about the company itself, right? And so some of these things John and I were talking about, right? if you've got somebody that's got some experience, Every CRO has been in a situation where the CFO or CEO just doesn't get it. They don't understand sales. They don't understand productivity models. They don't understand what the numbers should be. They're, they're forcing them into taking things they don't want to do. Every CRO has had to fight those, those battles. If you come work with a Sutter Hill company, that just simply doesn't happen, right? Because all of, our, all of our CEOs get it because we get it. And because we're in there each and every day fighting those battles. And they all know that. I mean, if you look at some of the folks that we've brought in, the opportunity to work with myself, Mike Spiser, and most of the time John McMahon, most CROs are now recognizing that is a CRO job unlike any other in the world. Sutter Hill is the most pro-sales venture firm that's ever existed. Look, I mean, look at me, right? I'm I had other offers to go join other venture firms that John is aware of that I, I didn't even consider. Why? Because they don't see the value. Mike Spiser looked at myself and said, look, There's two things when it comes to scaling a company, right? There's engineering and there's sales. And I believe that if we bring you in, we can nail sales. And if we nail sales, we will build bigger and better companies than anybody else in the world, right? And so Mike just got it. And so that reverberates across every one of our companies, right? We recognize the value of sales. And if you don't have exceptional sales, the company will never meet its potential. And I'm not sure that there's any other venture firm out there that truly recognizes that. And even if they recognize it, there's not much they can do about it. They don't have a Mike Spicer, a John McMahon and a Chad Beast. They just don't exist. the
1: other thing too, that I think you left out just to add something to that as far as services is once the company is ready to scale, nobody can scale it like Sutter Hill because of Chad. And they also have an arm. I think you're running that too now on the engineering side. So the two things, any company that's scaling really fast needs Is I need a lot of really good salespeople. I need a lot of really good engineers.
2: Engineers with that,
1: it's going to hinder your growth rates, and that's why companies like Snowflake grew so fast, and also why Lacework is taking off like a rocket ship. For for less than
2: zero percent unemployment in the engineering field, so that's a that's a tough task to uh, (laughs) to be great at. So, no, John, it's a great
0: point. I mean, look, we put five hundred salespeople into Snowflake, Um, and as I like to remind. Frank and and those guys, the guys we put in are still running that sales organization today. Um, You know, most of our people are, so not only do we scale, but to John's point, it's quality. We put 300 people into Lacework, right? So it's the ability to scale quickly, but it's also, they know if we build it, it's going to be a competitive differentiator, that sales organization. It's going to be world-class.
2: Awesome. Hey, Johnny, I'm uh, I'm getting ready to do a wrap-up here. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about? There's Chad. tons of things we
1: didn't talk about with Chad Pete's man. We could have yeah. this conversation for hours and hours and hours, but you know, we were, we were lucky enough to get an hour on Chad's calendar and we we're taking it. So I
2: You're think it's man. time
1: for you to do a little, uh, rapid fire with the man.
2: Yeah, dude. So Chad, let me just get some great takeaways. First of all, thanks for spending the time. We know you got a lot on your plate and we appreciate you sharing such, you know, the time number one, but then the golden nuggets, my takeaways, uh, you know, really talking about building and scaling high quality organizations. You know, we talked about expectations from a company's point of view, from a candidate's point of view, from an investor's point of view. Um, I thought that was very powerful. Something that stuck out to me was, you know, the logic of the moves is something that I wrote down is that everybody should be prepared to talk about the, uh, the logic of the moves. And then the, 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 basically the cultures, uh, that you've been a part of and be very protective, uh, when you go and join something, cause you will be responsible for the culture that you were a part of, uh, at your, at your next role. So thanks for those great takeaways. We have a little thing that we like to do at the end here that just kind of make it fun and a uh, little rapid fire questions if, if you're ready. Brilliant. All right. Uh, ideal day off of work
0: well is an off chance my wife may listen to this although i think it's unlikely but she <laughs> might so it's spending a day with my wife and children
2: there you go politically right. correct well my done Chad. well done the sign of a very meal. intelligent man <laughs> favorite meal steak steak there we go i like that one mine too favorite sport to watch football all right another good one uh uh favorite movie like, oh, shit. Come on. Dig deep.
0: Uh, you know, it's coming too quickly. You know, I uh, I watched Wall Street, the original Wall Street, a hundred times as a kid. Loved it. Oh, really? Uh, loved Gordon Gekko.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love that. That's funny. That's
2: great. Cool. Very good. Very good. Um, favorite subject in school. Math. Now, was it USC? We're not going to hold you accountable for this, are we? Yes,
0: I went to SC. Uh, uh, all right. Okay, math. go ahead. Wait.
2: Loved math. All right. Well done. If you didn't have a, recruit, a career in recruiting and scaling sales organizations, what would you have done?
0: Uh, before I got into this, I was a stockbroker at Merrill Lynch and I was 22. I, I would have continued down that path.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Johnny, I'm going to let you say your goodbyes and I'm going to wrap it up.
1: Chad, as you know, you are a dumb man. I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to the audience and I can't uh, can't tell you how grateful I am. So thank you. You know, I
0: love you, John. Thank you. Right. Well
2: done, Chad. Thanks for being with us. And for all of those listening, thank you for listening to Revenue Builders.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com.